Hello and welcome to the Highly Sensitive Soul Podcast. My name is Lisa Matthews, and together we'll explore both the gifts and the challenges of being highly sensitive so that you can bring your unique magic out into the world. You're listening to episode 19. My name is Lisa Matthews, and I'm, of course, a highly sensitive person. I support other highly sensitives who are building a spacious, intentional, and intuitively led life. Those who are on a journey of self-discovery and inner growth, who are creating a life that supports their sensitivities. I'm a certified flower essence practitioner, a registered cranial sacral therapist, and I hold regular circles and workshops. I've been in the healing arts for over a decade with a background as a registered nurse. And before we dive into today's very special episode with another wonderful guest, I've got three quick announcements for you for events that are coming up. The first one, approaching very soon, is the Ignite Women's Conference. This is coming up September 18th and 19th, and is for those that identify as a woman to join others in community, to become inspired and enlivened over the weekend of listening to speakers and connecting with each other. I'm honored to be one of the speakers at this year's event, and ticket sales actually end tomorrow, September 16th. If you'd like to read more, see if this is something that resonates with you, then you can head to my website, combinationhealing.ca forward slash events for all the details. You can also head there for more information on the Autumn Equinox Ritual Gathering. Now, for those that are in the Northern Hemisphere, wow, fall is really, really beautiful this year. It is fast approaching with beautiful red leaves and a lot of wind today, actually. Now, I have had so many bear visitors this year. It's literally not even funny. <laughs> I've had multiple times a week uh, seeing bears out on the street, in my backyard, in other people's yards. They are everywhere this year. Now, fall is bear time here in Rosland, and we definitely are seeing more than the regular amount this year. So, back to the actual autumn equinox and what's happening there. Now, we're going to be meeting on September 24th, next Friday, and I'm offering both an in-person and an online option for that. So we're gathering together to really step into the energies of the autumn equinox. This unique time of balance, yet also shifting into the darkness, shifting into winter shifting into introspection and reflection. So we're going to get them together and have some simple yet powerful rituals around this. So that's again next week, September 24th. And last but not least, I'm very excited to announce that the waitlist for the Menstrual Wise Collective is now open. 
This will be both a program and community for those that want to learn to cultivate a relationship with their cycle, to dance and live with the changing energies, and to reclaim the wisdom of their moon time, their periods. We're beginning in the late fall, and for those that join the waitlist, I'll send you a free resource you can start using today to better understand the shifting energies of your cycle. All right, so those are our current events, our announcements, and I'm really excited to bring in a very special guest. This episode actually came to be from a listener request. They had written in a little while ago, hoping that I could do an episode about social justice, environmental justice, animal justice, and just how to navigate all of these really, at times, intense things as a highly sensitive person, as someone who feels really deeply, yet also wants to be involved. So I am really, really thankful that person sent in their request, and That is why I spent some time just keeping my ears open for someone who really knew this work well. Someone who was highly sensitive, who was working in the inclusivity and social justice realms. So as soon as I met Anvita and learned her work, I was very happy because I thought, perfect, This is who I want to bring on the show. And I would love to introduce Anvita Akor. She's a highly sensitive person, educator, and consultant working in the intersection of environmental and social justice. Anvita has about a decade of international experience developing environmental and social justice strategies, policies, and programs for public and private organizations. Anvita experiences life as a racialized queer woman living with invisible disabilities. Earlier this year, Anvita launched her consulting practice, The Inclusion Coach, to help leaders foster inclusion and belonging in their teams through trauma-informed practices. When she's not coaching or teaching, Anvita loves to nurture her sensitivity by drinking tea, forest bathing, and hanging out with her cat. I can really resonate with all of the last elements of tea, being out in the forest and hanging out with your cat, except I have two. (laughs) So let's make our way into today's interview. I'm so excited to have Anvita Akor here today. Now, welcome to the podcast, and thanks so much for sharing your wisdom today. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Uh, Well, as I mentioned in the intro, uh, this episode's actually come in part from a listener request, and it was such a great question. Not that any of them aren't fantastic questions, but this had a really timely point to it because there's so many, well, I was going to say social justice, but so many different layers of justice issues showing up in the world. And yeah, as soon as I met you, I was like, oh, okay, here we go. <laughs> Here's a, a wonderful person to bring on and, and learn from. So 
I'm really curious to hear, like your work spans a lot of areas and I love the belonging aspect to it. Uh, But I'd love to hear, how did you get to this place in life? What was your your journey? And yeah, whatever feels right to share of your your story up to here, I'd love to hear it. Yeah, so I'll start from the very beginning. Um, I had a very international and multicultural childhood. Um, My parents were expats. We moved around almost every three years. So I was kind of bouncing around from one place to another. Um, I've say I've lived about a third of my life all over Canada, a third all over the States and a third um, in Kuwait in the Middle East. And my own family, uh, we're Indian. So I have that layer of uh, a cultural upbringing as well. Um, so from a very early age was exposed to a lot of very different physical environments, um, legal systems, cultural systems, um, uh, different languages, different customs, religions, um, and that really enriched the way I saw the world and kind of my, shaped my own belief systems around that, um, I was also a very sensitive child, very quiet, very shy. I was an only child. Um, I spent a lot of my time um, just in books rather than around with other people. I just found, you know, just kind of navigating all of these different cultures is quite overwhelming. Navigating other people was quite overwhelming. So I spent a lot of time just by myself thinking about a lot of things. Um, And even from a very early age, it was really interesting to sort of think about um, and analyze the different sort of systems I was exposed to, um, uh, kind of comparing and contrasting how different cultures handled patriarchy and the role of women in society, how the different places I lived in um, valued or didn't value um, the environment and how you know the sort of organizations and businesses interacted with the environment. Um, even my own upbringing, um, I was exposed to, you know, a caste system and kind of the different layers of social um, and economic inequality that are sort of built into systems. Um, And I, because of my sensitivity, was able to sort of see and notice the impact that it had on other people's feelings, their emotions. uh, yeah, just very sensitive to kind of the physical environment around me, the heat, the cold, how, you know, the climate is reactive to the way humans interact with the environment. Um, so I was very exposed to all of that from a very early age. Um, and because I think of the way I saw the world, I also kind of the beauty of the sensitivity was I was able to see and create and envision a world where people could feel better, people could feel like they belonged, um, where we, humans interacted in harmony with the environment. Um, so I had kind of set a path for myself to work in that intersection of environmental and social justice um, and work um, with how, you know, governments and businesses can, you know, 
it create that society um, that I that I envisioned. Um, so yeah, I set off my formal education. Um, I did my undergraduate studies in um, business and environment, and I went on to do my master's in um, public administration with a specialization in environmental science. And my career from that has spanned um, working with a lot of um, uh, both public and private sector organizations in consulting on how we can develop programs and policies and strategies um, to improve environmental um, and social justice in these organizations. So that's kind of been my journey from childhood to where I am now and, um, yeah, how I've gotten here. What an incredible background you have. Like, it's as if your journey to the work you're doing now started at day one. Absolutely. wasn't just something you kind of had this lovely rose-colored glasses idea of, oh, this would be so nice to create. It's like, you've really lived all of this. So that's pretty fantastic. And what a beautiful way of expressing the, yes, the, the challenges, but the gifts of our sensitivity to be able to see, hey, there's probably some other things we can do at a much higher level at the government level or organization level to support the environment and social justice. And usually I see people working in one area or the other, and both are are beautiful, but I think it's really neat that you're kind of exploring that intersection because we're all part, we're all part of the environment anyway. (laughs) It's, it's not really, um, something we can be separated from without any great consequence. So that's yeah, really amazing. But I could imagine that being pretty challenging growing up and having so much change, like as highly sensitive, it's like not every single one of us, but often change itself is is hard. So you're you're quite the bookworm, it sounded like back then. Are you still a big reader now? Oh, absolutely. I That's still my preferred way of unwinding and uh, decompressing from the world is I just love to curl up on a couch with uh, my cat and a cup of tea and a good book. My gosh, you're speaking my language. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, we have had uh, a lot of, well, a lot of sun, and a lot of heat here. So we had some rain the other day and having that quiet time to settle in with literally all the things you just mentioned, tea, cat, book. It's very nice. So that's like, it sounds like you've got some some self-care within your, your world well and truly. And I imagine you, you absolutely have to during mm-hmm. this kind of work. Like so many highly sensitives are, are really, well sensitive to cruelty to violence to perceived wrongs and unfairness and it's like we feel it so deep in our bones so it can be hard to set a boundary there and I'm curious what ways or suggestions do you have how can HSP set boundaries with justice and activism work That's a great question. And I think now is an especially appropriate time, as you mentioned, to be chatting about this just with what's going on in the world. I mean, with the um, terrorism crisis in Afghanistan and the um, IPCC, the Intergovernmental uh, Panel on Climate Change, just released their 
uh, kind of the very serious report on the state of the, the planet um, and all the various sort of, um, you know, social justice issues that have been arising uh, in the world. So there's a lot that's going on in our collective consciousness and in our timelines. And, you know, 50, 50 years ago, we would have, you know, our only sort of interaction with the world would have been through the newspaper or the radio or the local news. And today we are bombarded with notifications every second. Everyone's on Twitter. <laughs> Everyone's sharing stories on Instagram. I'm getting texts, you know, every every hour. So it is really, really important to those of us that care, are very sensitive to these issues, that care very deeply, that have that sense of justice within us to um, set boundaries um, with how much we consume uh, and how much we engage with this content. Um, compounding that, I think there has been a bit of a harmful narrative um, that's been going on. Um, there's a bit of an expectation that one, in order to be a true ally or a true activist, one has to comment, discuss you know, share on social media about every issue. There's the, this phrase that I hate called, you know, silence is violence. And I think that is, you know, quite a, a harmful take on how one engages with activism work. I think that kind of expectation is too much for anyone, let alone for someone that identifies as a highly sensitive person. Um, and I would actually argue that, you know, setting boundaries about what you take in and what you engage with is um, key to survival and self-care. Um, and that, you know, if you if you prioritize collective needs over your own needs all the time, that actually is quite detrimental and unsustainable um, for activism. Um, I love this quote by um, an American civil rights activist uh, named Audre Lorde. I don't know if you're uh, familiar with her work, um, but she has a quote that says, caring for myself is not self-indulgence, it is self-preservation, and that is an act of political warfare. So I think that is mm -hmm. a sentiment that I hold really dear to my heart and is something that I try to live by myself. Um, Amazing. in how I, how I set boundaries with this work, um, cause it can get overwhelming. Um, so I, some of the boundaries that I, I like to engage in and, you know, I recommend for folks that are really, you know, plugged in. Um, so one, one type of boundary is what I call time boundaries, um, so limiting the actual time that I uh, consume and engage with um, environmental or social justice. So I actually set um, days and specific hours of the days in which I consume news. So nothing in the morning, <laughs> nothing past 6 p.m. Um, and not on the weekends as well. So I, I think I find that that really helps set some, you know, some boundaries in my own life about when I engage and, um, you know, especially in the mornings, that's when I'm most prone to anxiety. So I don't want to be starting off my day consuming um, bad news. Uh, so yeah, I find that totally. really helps helps me. I turn off notifications in the evening. Um, something else that I tend to struggle with that's related to my sensitivity is sleep. Um, I find that if I'm overstimulated or over aroused during the day, I, ha I do have a difficult time sleeping. 
Um, so I like to shut off my notifications and try to avoid screen time in the evenings. Something else I do, um, another type of boundary is mental, mental boundaries. Um, I set limits on, you know, how I choose to engage on social media or with other people about an issue. Um, I, yeah, if there's a, a conversation that I, I just don't have the emotional capacity to be engaging with at that time, I choose to walk away and, you know, that's okay. That's okay to do that. Um, it's a, a very much a, an act of empowerment to just know, okay, this is my bandwidth and my bandwidth might change day to day, but today this is my bandwidth and I need to walk away from this. So I love that you named that. It's really, really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Something else that I, I try to do, um, especially I... I am privileged enough that I can uh, work on these issues in my nine to five, uh, my job. So I, I make the decision to, you know, when I'm at home, when I'm off work, I, I try not to kind of get involved in social media discussions or if I'm at a party and, you know, my friends are also very much, you know, uh, it, plugged into this work. And if they're in a discussion and they're asking about my opinion, I say, hey, this is my relaxation time. This is my fun time. Um, I'm just here to listen. You guys carry on with the discussion. Uh, so I, I set, again, those sort of physical and mental boundaries um, when, I, when I'm you know, doing my work and when I'm not at work. Uh, so that I find uh, really, really helps with my sort of my nervous system and uh, um, yeah, uh, my anxiety as well. Um, additionally, I, I would say this were the final set of boundaries that I, I like to set or and I recommend other people set is emotional boundaries. Um, oftentimes folks that are sort of, you know, care about, deeply about this work are, you know, impacted by it in some way, um, whether they're, you know, live in a community that is impacted by climate issues, uh, whether they identify with a group that is marginalized, um, and being in this sort of work can be triggering um, and can bring up past trauma. And when I feel um, that I'm being triggered by a conversation or something that I'm doing, I do give myself the permission to step away, take a few deep breaths, do a grounding exercise. Uh, and then, as you said, uh, I am empowered in when I want to jump back into that conversation. Um so that is something else that I do is just give myself permission to feel those feelings and step away uh, when I need to. Um, on the topic of trauma, I know you do, you have done quite a bit of work um, either in your, you know, your education and training and in your um, business uh, and working with folks that are experiencing trauma. And that is something that comes up quite a bit um, in this work. Mm -hmm. uh, especially for folks that work in, in the social and environmental justice space. Um, what are your thoughts on how one can work, can engage in these issues in a trauma-informed manner, um, especially when one is, you know, experiences vicarious traumatization or is traumatized by, by the work that they're doing? Yeah, I love, I love that question. And I'll say right off the bat that I'm by no means going to give it a, a fully inclusive answer. There's 
There's so much in this. And it was one of the reasons why I wanted to um, bring you on too, just to get your take, who, who, someone who lives and breathes this. But I know for myself and having a trauma-informed background and bringing it forward, working with people on a a one-on-one basis, seeing what shows up as a trigger for them, say a particular issue, or sometimes it's having differences in, you've named it already, having differences in um, experiencing traumatizing before and then being triggered in the in the moment. So it's like they're neurologically, their brain actually can't tell that they're in the present. They've gone mm-hmm. back in time. So they may, if they've experienced something that is, has been quite intense, or they have maybe had something more personal happen in their life that's traumatizing, they are way back in the past. So one of the really in some ways basic and in other ways it can be a very, well, it's a foundational thing to come back to again and again. It, it doesn't get old, I guess is what I'm getting at. Um, it's to slowly reorient to the present through our senses. So if our body is sending us signals, if we have had something that we've experienced that gives us feelings of anxiety or we've got that churning in the stomach, fast heart rate, that feeling of wanting to run, then coming into a sense of our sensations can feel quite dangerous. So doing it in a very slow way, sometimes people will need some support right at the start of this. And that's, I wholeheartedly recommend getting support either through counseling work, through practitioner-based work, someone that um, understands what's going on, but gently bringing in a sense of, of the now through their senses and what is pleasant in their senses. Most of their senses are going to be, uh, at the moment, kind of challenging. They may not want to engage with them, but finding something that feels, uh, sometimes it's tactilely nice. So for me, um, something really simple is a warm cup of tea, if I'll use that in my own. I'll often use my own examples on the show just for client confidentiality and that side of things. Um, petting your animal, so good. <laughs> so it's like, you may not recognize that you're kind of back in the in the past in that sense, but having pleasurable sensation, and you can use an outside resource, you can use something that feels nice, soft blanket, just to start to kind of come back to the present moment. Being really gentle with ourselves and having a lot of self-compassion as well. Like there's lots more on the sensory side, I'll kind of give an overview. And then having a lot of self-compassion for the sense that, ooh, okay, I've just experienced or I've been triggered by something or experienced some really strong emotion. I'm going to take a few minutes here. I'm going to step back like you've named and give myself a few moments to process. Because the narrative in our uh, in a westernized culture is often keep doing the th- whatever you're doing, be productive, keep going. And even back a few episodes ago, I, I did a whole episode on the value of slowness and introspection and having processing time. Highly sensitives need the extra processing time because we're taking more in. Mm. We're taking more on all levels in both. If we're watching a video about, say, a climate issue, we're probably picking up potentially even the the subtle micro expressions of the announcer and their distress. Like there's a, a lot of layers that we'll be picking up another person won't. 
So I, I think of it, and Peter Levine names this technique as pendulation, and this is not a true representation of it. It's, a, it's one of the ways I'll use it is going towards something that feels good and very gently coming towards something that feels not as good to increase our uh, capacity to be with it. But I, I want to leave that as a, a technique kind of on its own. But that idea of pendulation of going towards something that's a little challenging. So if we're like, no, I want to learn about this particular climate issue. So having that time, but then stepping back, swinging away and resourcing ourselves again. And it's probably not going to be a one-to-one time. If you're spending 10 minutes on climate change exploration, you might need an hour. (laughs) It's not necessarily one-to-one, but I feel like there's lots of, lots of different layers I could bring in on that. But Hopefully that gives sort of a a start, an overview. But yeah, the first is coming back to pleasurable sensation. Second, giving ourselves some space to process with self-compassion. And third is uh, literally planning in that pendulation time, planning in that time of stepping back. Uh, Because it's easy to get sucked in. So easy. I've been there too. Start reading about something or seeing something about the logging. I I live in uh, an area where there's quite a bit of logging. And can just feel my my body's response and I want to act on it. I want to do something. It's like, okay, here's a lot of energy moving. So I think we underestimate the value of slowing down, processing, caring for ourselves. And honestly, we may come up with a creative solution to something small in that moment, something big. But we're not going to come up with it if, if we're continually pushing our ourselves down into being overwhelmed and overstimulated. So yeah. that was a very long monologue there, but <laughs> I love that. That was a great question. But yeah, well we're kind of on that topic. Um kind of without naming it as such, a lot of that is self care. Yes. And I, I name a lot in my work the concept of sacred self care. And having this sense of it not it's not necessarily or uh, I'll reframe it as I have the ability and especially the privilege in my life to take the self-care that I need. I know that that doesn't always feel like an option for everyone, but when at all possible, self-care isn't really optional. And it can take so many different forms. It's not just bubble baths, massages, that. That's lovely. Uh, This is like learning about yourself, understanding what you need, having a really big awareness of where are your limits and your limits can change over time. So how about on on your end? I'm really curious what self-care techniques, practices uh, do you use in your life? That's a fantastic question. I would say the first step in my sort of journey to taking better care of myself as I've been working in this space for the last 10 years. And I've been at risk of burning out many, many times. And kind of one of the the first things that I needed to learn how to do was just recognize the signs and symptoms of when I've been overstimulated or when I've been over aroused. And to me, yeah, that means I needed to get a bit comfortable with 
the kind of gross and icky feelings um, and Mm -hmm. learning that that's a sign um, and not avoiding that because if I know if I know what's happening and I can name it then I know what I can do to take a step back so for me um, I feel it uh, physically um, you know there's tension in my chest my legs and hands start shaking I have racing thoughts. Um, I can find it really difficult to breathe sometimes. I lose my appetite. Um, I wake up in the middle of the night. So those, when I start getting into periods where that becomes more prevalent, then I know that that's a sign my body is saying too much information, too much work. I need to mm-hmm. slow down. Um, so some of the things that have helped me um, grounding, grounding has really, Hugely. really been a huge, huge lifesaver for me. Yeah. So, um, in my work, I can get into some pretty heavy, difficult conversations. Um, again, without uh, giving away client privilege, um, I I work in an organization where I support a lot of labor relations case, cases, especially related to racism, discrimination, harassment. Um, and a lot of the times those folks reach out to me for some, you know, emotional and social support. Um, and that can be quite heavy as I, you know, tend to pick up on their, their emotions and their micro uh, expressions as well. Um, so I always, after every sort of meeting that I have, um, at work, I plant my two feet on the ground, take a few big, deep, um, belly breaths. Um, and just, um, I imagine that there's a source of light that the universe mm-hmm. is providing. Then I just channel into my body and just sort of clear away, um, the tension and the the sadness and distress that I I held space for in that conversation. And uh, I try to do a bit of that and a little bit of mindful movement um, every day after work to sort of delineate, as I I said, one of the sort of boundaries that I set is after I leave my job, I try not to engage in environmental and social justice issues. So again, just to signal the end of my my working, my activism, and into where I can just be myself, um, I do some mindful movement. I literally just kind of shake and dance to music sometimes (laughs) just to get out of my head and connecting to my body. Um, So I find that that's a fun way to sort of ease out of the workday and into sort of my just my being time. Mm -hmm. Um, I also do and I I do have the privilege of having access to a clinical counselor that I see on a weekly basis um, to heal a lot of my own trauma. Um, And that's if, if you work with me, you know me, something that I always say is you got to work on yourself first before you can take care of other people because um, the relationship you have with yourself is reflected in the relationship that you have with others and the world around you. Um, so that's something that I've been really working on is just healing my own trauma um, with a therapist in a very controlled setting. Um, and that's, uh, like you said, self-care is kind of really difficult sometimes. It forces you to dig deep and heal yourself. 
Um, so that's that's part of that's I would say a tool that I you know lean on regularly is a, a formal therapeutic practice. Um, something. Sneak yeah. in my little thought while we're on that. Of yeah, of course. Just wanting to name, and uh, I was in a recent newsletter that I um, added that into. That like, yeah, reconnect with my counselor, and I actually have two. I have one that's more when I need to talk it out, when I need to work through things on just a, a, a thought based level, and I have one that's almost exclusively somatic. We're really working through the body sensation uh, level of things, uh, and I think of it like having a team. It's like if you're a highly sensitive person you probably support a lot of people. You probably are very in tune with people. You're probably really that, and I won't name this as a blanket rule, but we're it's pretty common for us to overgive in relationships. We give a lot. We see what a person needs. So in, uh, in this context of social justice, we may feel like we want to give a lot. And if you're always giving and don't have that support, like who's at your back? Who's there to support you? So I think it's really important and yeah, I'll notice on myself, I'll look at my calendar and go, oh, no, it's been a little while, definitely time to come in, book a few more sessions. Uh, I think it's so key, so needed and that it's okay if you need to book extra time before and after a counseling session because like you said, it is deep work. It is not always like, oh, that was lovely. We had a great chat and I laughed and on with went on with my day. It's like sometimes like I usually book a counseling session at the end of my day because I don't know what I will feel like after that. <laughs> I want that space to navigate however I feel. And I normally plan a walk in the woods after. So yeah, if, if, you, if you're highly sensitive and engaging in or wanting to engage more in social justice work, environmental justice work that counseling can go a very long way because at the end of the day you're doing amazing work by looking to support your earth and fellow humans and who's supporting you too so have a there's often low cost options as well um so always uh, feel free to get creative in a google search uh, sometimes mm -hmm. students will offer at a reduced rate and you can check out a lot of different options there. So that just, yeah, popped in. I may have totally interrupted your <laughs> your train of thought, but just want to like underline so important, so helpful and underrated a lot of times for uh, adding counseling in it as part of our self-care practices. I need, I, I'm still looking for it, that beefier word than self-care because it covers so many things. <laughs> Yeah, are there other elements that you like to bring in for yourself? Yeah, and and uh, no worries about interrupting. I think that was a really great point. Um, I would say something I've been getting more in tune with recently over the past year or so is kind of the spiritual side to self-care. Mm -hmm. um, when I... I have a tendency to, especially when I'm inundated with issues and it feels overwhelming and um, it, it can really, it can feel like I'm just in the weeds with, you know, working on a particular problem and how the heck am I going to, you know, even move the dial on this by one degree Um it can feel really, really overwhelming at times. Um, 
And it helps to realize that we are, or for me at least, that I'm kind of a tiny speck in the universe. And so are, you know, even these issues, when we think about it, it's, uh, you know, we, it, when I think about kind of our, the broader scope of things and, you know, there is sort of this bigger realm, um, this bigger energetic realm that we inhabit. Um, and I can take a, a few minutes to just think about you know, to go into that space um, and sort of feel connected to the bigger picture of how, you know, I'm bringing science into this, but in thermodynamics, we're all, you know, just energy just flows among us and we're all connected in that sense um, and just kind of tap into that kind of bigger sense of connectivity and support um, that I feel from kind of the universe around me. I think I find that really helps put things in perspective a little bit and kind of take take myself out of this body and out of this mind and t- into sort of more of a collective consciousness space. Um, so I've, I've been getting more in tune with that side of me over the past year. And I find that that really, yeah, that's helped um, when I'm feeling really small and in the weeds, that's helped bring it out a little bit and zoom out and see the big picture. Mm-hmm. I love that and I think it's a really a really wonderful reminder that I think some things are in a way put on our heart that really move us in particular um, like for for me it's animal rescue that's something that I really I really feel passionate about and I'm really oh I can really get um, really get affected by as well for sure oh animals pull at my heartstrings as they do for a lot of us and when it comes to like, well, what is my, you know, one small thing or giving a few examples, what is my, you know, say if you, the ability to give $10 as a, a donation to a animal rescue organization, I'll go with this example, or you have a day to volunteer uh, to go trap cats for um, a TNR, like a trap neuter return program, like whatever it is. And then it's like, well, what, what was the point of that in the sense of like, there's there's so much it's like endless feeling sometimes like they're really you know it's going to be another batch of kittens that I'll need homes uh, every time you turn around potentially it's like it can feel really endless and really really bottomless with some of with some of this so I love what you brought in of just um, connecting in and hopefully I'm hopefully I heard you right I may have interpreted it in a, in a different way of, <laughs> of right I am one of of many and yes and there's also many, many more beings working on this than just me. And for me, I'm very much in the spiritual world as well. I really uh, recognize the support that's been for me. So I also acknowledge that, okay, there's there's humans working on this. There's beings working on this. We're, we're moving hopefully towards a, a better place, but I can only mm-hmm. trust in that because it's otherwise, I don't know if the other option really as much as we can tell ourselves, well, it doesn't get ourselves, uh, you know, anywhere to, to just worry about, oh, well, I didn't do enough or I haven't done enough. Easier said than done. Um, but I think really honoring how much we did do, even if that's a simple, not simple at all, energetic gratitude for those that are on the forefront of an issue, say, like there isn't really, from what I can found a trap me to return program 
um, right in my area. It's like, I can just be really grateful for the people doing it. And while that's not a particularly tangible um, way that it's not a donation, it's not time, it's a way of just supporting them. And maybe if that's all your bandwidth is, then just start with that, being grateful for the people that are able to be out there on the front lines of whatever the issue is that moves that moves your heart. And it makes me think of that Mr. Rogers quote where he says, whenever something is really bad and scary in the world, my mom would say, look to the helpers. Yeah. Look to the people that are trying to make things better. It's very much a verbatim quote, but that really has always stuck with me. Of like, okay, when things look really bad, look to the people that are helping and, and just really extending that gratitude for them. And maybe an encouraging message is, is within your, your bandwidth. And maybe that's all that's within your bandwidth. If mm-hmm. you're at home wondering, well, what can I do? It's like, Sending gratitude and an encouraging message to someone can go a very long way. <laughs> like, it's a really big start to just be, to acknowledge it. So the path goes a lot deeper in terms of what people can do. But I think that there's a lot of a lot of gifts we were talking earlier before. We had a bit of a chat before I hit the magic record button about the gifts that highly sensitives uh, can bring to this work. And I'm curious what your thoughts are on that, about what gifts highly sensitive spring to activism and the justice space. Yeah, I think the the thoughtfulness, the slowness, the ability to process, it lends to the ability to notice issues, to notice problems. Um, I noticed that highly in the literature um, research suggests that highly sensitive people are the ones that um, are often kind of, you know, finding finding out and discovering these issues. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, the greater sort of response to pain, discomfort, physical ex- experience, and um, emotional states allows highly sensitive people to hold capacity to empathize. Um, and to connect with other people, to connect with animals, to connect with the environment. Um, I think highly sensitive people were born activists. They're born um, to make the world a better place, and it's it's in the nature. Um, so I think these are just really, really beautiful gifts to be able to notice and hold space for these issues. I love that. Highly sensitives were just born activists. I love that. And especially pairing it with your earlier kind of breaking down of, of what an activist really is, like you naming that there are some unhelpful narratives out there and and activism does not have to look like standing on the front lines of an issue. Like does not have to look like reading about and being up to date on every single news article because uh, that can consume us really quickly. Mm. But yeah, I love that. And I really think that we are also sometimes great and coming up with new solutions connecting dots that people might not have seen or one of the gifts of being highly sensitive is our creativity yeah which is most easily accessed when we are in a state of of feeling ourselves of feeling grounded of of feeling relatively regulated so earlier when we were talking about trauma and uh, I didn't name it in quite the way that way, but a lot of times it's it's our nervous system is is feeling like it's under threat. We're feeling unsafe. 
So if we can work with our nervous system at that level to bring in more sense of safety and start to access our sense of our ourselves, who we truly are, our creativity just kind of blossoms naturally from there. Conversely, always being in an overwhelmed, I'm not doing enough, there's more that I need to be connected with here and forever feeling yeah, overstimulated, it's actually quite hard to access the gifts. So it's kind of like a double bonus to really take care mm-hmm. of yourself. <laughs> you really get to bring potentially more creative solutions in that perhaps may not have come through otherwise or as soon. So, so I think there's something to be said for us, especially being often ahead of the game, just seeing some things at the start, naming, hey, this is an issue right at the beginning. And then 10 years later, hey, everyone is, <laughs> is aware of this issue. It's like, yeah, we're, we're very aware of the subtle small things and can see the impact of things. So I think, yeah, our creativity, our ability to come up with solutions is a really beautiful gift as well but i love that so nice did i dive in there or is there something else you wanted to say on that (laughs) got excited that was perfect (laughs) that was perfect (laughs) amazing and and this is a really personal journey for you it is this is as you've named your your walk in life was has set foot on a lot of different lands and experienced a lot of different cultures and within that probably a lot of different narratives about how a person should be especially based off how someone outside looks at them so when mm-hmm. one identifies as not being the quote unquote typical or norm then how did how does that look for you how do your intersectional identities interact with your high sensitivity? Yeah, that's a perfect question. Um, And I would say it amplifies the challenges and it also amplifies the gifts. So it goes both ways. Mm. Um, And this is an area that I'm particularly interested in from a research and career standpoint. So I'm super excited to talk to you about Mm -hmm. it. Um, so folk, women in color, a woman, I, I identify as a woman of color. Um, and, but I would say, you know, anyone that comes from any kind of marginalized or equity seeking community, they are particularly vulnerable to having, um, their boundaries violated. And that kind of is an additional layer for folks that are highly sensitive to, you know, when you have, you know, visible ways in which you are kind of different from everyone else in the room, and also inside the way you exist, the way you think, the way you feel is different from everyone else in the room that adds an additional layer of complexity to it. So I often find myself that I am kind of the only person of a particular identity in a room or environment. Um, And that kind of sets off my sensitivity to a higher notch that I'm extra perceptive to changes in mood, emotions, um, physical changes. Um, I'm kind of, you know, worried about my safety sometimes. And uh, Mm -hmm. kind of there's a a feeling of constant vigilance. Um, 
that is kind of especially exhausting uh, in navigating these spaces. Um, but I would say, you know, the flip side of that is I, um, through this experience, through kind of feeling this way, um, it's opened up my ability to hold space for others that may be uh, kind of navigating the way, in a way, the world in a way that is different from from the norm, um, and I, I have, um, yeah, the ability to yeah empathize and, um, yeah, hold space for those, and I think that's really improved my ability to be a leader. Um, it's improved my ability to um, lead teams and lead organizations. Um, so, yeah, I would say, well, it's been a bit of a challenge in learning how to navigate that and um, kind of pay a painful journey at times. It has um, created a lot of good for other people in the world. And that's something that I, I hold really dear to my heart. Beautiful. And I think that I mentioned right at the very start and I'll probably loop right around back to that, that word belonging. Mm -hmm. I think it's really common and as a person that identifies as highly sensitive, as someone that feels, I've, I've heard it from so, so many people just from that one identity not even layering in the, the number of different identities that make each beautiful person in their unique self, but just that one of high sensitivity and feeling different, feeling other, feeling like it's hard to relate to people or have people relate to you and then add in these other, I think of it almost like these different inter, interweaving layers of each person. It's like that's really what makes our, our world incredible, makes our cultures as they come and, and dance together, it makes them beautiful to witness. But at the same time, there is often that sense of other and that sense of like, well, no one else understands me. No one else gets me. And that's why I think it's really amazing to name that sense that like what you just shared about starting to realize, okay, this is even just having that sense of compassion that other people have, have walked a similar path, even though we're all different in our own ways, there is a lot of overlap in our, our human experience. And just, especially with the highly sensitive piece, feeling different and bringing in that sense of belonging is so, mm. so key. Mm -hmm. And then even coming back, apparently the nervous system is really on my brain today, going back to nervous system and regulation and, and emotional regulation feeling a belonging, feeling like you're a part of something, feeling like you can be within a group, you can speak freely with people and comfortably with people. It's a sign that uh, one's nervous system is really well regulated is the, the term. But in general, it just means you're, other people may say they're feeling balanced or they're feeling social. Mm -hmm. But there's uh, elements within our nervous system that really support that. So when we're on the flip side in a state of hypervigilance, it, it can make it a little challenging to connect and we can feel like we, like we don't belong. Yeah. So I encourage you if you're listening and feeling, feeling that way, like maybe nobody understands or, or nobody's walked that same path and naming that we all have our very unique journeys 
But maybe there is a gathering for those that identify with with whichever part of you feels different from others. Maybe there is a group, maybe there is a class, maybe there are other people you can meet that also identify and in our most, well, this is the Highly Sensitive Soul podcast, so uh, meeting and understanding that others walk on a highly sensitive life, that is helpful to be around people that identify similarly, just even for a breathing space. Okay, I'm not alone. So... Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that in. So what do you consider, I ask this of every guest on the show, Mm. what do you consider your biggest challenge of being highly sensitive and your favorite gift of being highly sensitive? Mm. My biggest challenge in my own kind of journey navigating the world is that belonging piece. And that's something that I've been grappling with and working with and dealing with um, my whole life is, you know, just based on my various intersectionalities and being a highly sensitive person is, you know, where do I belong? How do I belong? I'm such a weirdo. What's wrong with me? These are all thoughts that have uh, crossed my mind uh, many, many times. Um, so my work has been doing the self-acceptance work and uh, self-love work. And um, and uh, yes, I'm different, but I'm great. <laughs> and yes, that's you are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I belong in these spaces. Um I belong in these environments, um, so that's that's the work that I've uh, continually been been doing um, and continue to do is um, on uh, getting past my own kind of self limiting beliefs about how I belong, how I exist, and um, yeah, just uh, accepting that not everyone has to fit into this sort of mold that. Culturally, has um, prescribed to us on what a normal, normal, quote unquote, normal person is, or what a. Um, I find that these beliefs, especially, tend to come up in the workforce for me, and in uh, kind of traditional work environments. So, the ideal employee, the ideal manager, the ideal business leader has to be a certain way, and I'm very different from that. So that's that's been my work in uh, kind of undoing those sort of self limiting beliefs and. Uh, that I can be great just the way I am. I love that. And that, that so speaks to our, a huge element of sensitivity of our, of our introspection, our reflection. Yeah. Of our deep inner world, our rich inner world with all these different thoughts that a lot of people don't yeah. even think to think about. <laughs> like, so I think that's beautiful, beautiful work. And I think there is, as the inclusivity work spreads even more, I think there's still, I think there's a lot of work uh, left to be done and left to explore. And I think uh, I'm just bringing in one other extra layer here as it's showing up, that when it comes to even languaging, Mm. like I'll name for myself, that sometimes I'm going through a conversation and going, oh, wait, 
what were their pronouns or how do they identify? And I, it's like, it's almost like I don't want to put my foot in my mouth. And there's this fear of offending someone that's so strong mm. or fear of uh, saying something incorrectly or making them feel uh, particularly like, like not accepted. So it's, I think as highly sensitives, we can sometimes overthink things a little bit. I'll put, I'm putting my hands up here. <laughs> so do you have any like suggestions or um, words for, for maybe people, especially as our inclusivity mm-hmm. is, is starting to, to grow or the awareness of it is starting to grow when people are feeling like, I don't, I don't know what to, I don't know what to say. I'm not, not sure. And not sure where, where else to learn. Just if you had any, any words on that. First of all, I just want to thank you for sharing that with me. And that is absolutely the most common response and feeling uh, that I get when I talk to the many, many folks that I work with. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it can be scary um, at times. And I do sense a lot of fear in a lot of people. And it absolutely comes from a really, really good place. It comes from a place of not wanting to do any harm. It comes from a place of wanting to really, truly care for um, other people. Um, and there are a couple of useful sort of tr- scripts, if I may, um, mm-hmm. that you can, or folks that are kind of in that same headspace can, can keep in mind. Um, one is one thing that I like to use is um, we're kind of I'm sure you've heard of the the golden rule, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, do do unto others as you would do unto yourself. And that is very old school. And I want to change that. And what I want to go to now is the platinum rule um, in which you ask other people on how they want to be treated. <laughs> I mean, it's as simple as that. <laughs> it's as simple as that. So... Um, a script that I like to use when I'm working with someone new um, that I, I'm not really sure where they're at or how they would like to be treated is um, just saying, hey, um, I know we're all you know, very different people coming from very different backgrounds and journeys and points of view. Um, and I would love to know if there's anything that I can do to make you feel comfortable, um, whether it's sharing your pronouns, um, whether that's like, you know, how we schedule meetings, how we interact with each other. If there's anything I can make you feel more comfortable in our time together, please let me know. And that's, that script has really worked quite well for me, um, giving people that space to share if they're, you know, cause if there is something that, would make someone's experience a bit better, they will happily share that with you. Um, so just broaching it with that sense of humility um, is really helpful. And I think, yeah, humility is a word that I keep going back to time and time again, just, you know, saying, hey, I'm kind of, you know, I'm on my journey. We're all on a journey when it comes to inclusivity and fostering sense of belonging in the in the communities that we work in. And um just, you know, saying you're not going to have all the answers. So, um, you know, if you do make a mistake offering, you know, please do call me in. Um, please do let me know if there's any way that I can, you know, make your experience better for you. Um, and just coming at, at with a sense of humility um, that also goes a really long way. Amazing. So simple. And yet it's so, so powerful. <laughs> like how many times in life would that have been amazing to hear 
I gotta think back to when I was oh, just thinking at earlier jobs when I was out and even just having that question asked, like mm. what a life changer that would have been. Like, oh, actually, you know, like I managed a medical office at one point. It would have been like, actually, I would love to shift the desk slightly so that it's not in front of this particular light <laughs> like and that's from a sensitivity standpoint uh, not so much as an identity standpoint but I think that question yeah. could go very far in a lot of different ways uh, and also is a really great easeful opener and yeah even in just identifying pronouns even identifying and putting it in that person's space what do they feel comfortable sharing and possibly mm -hmm. I, I imagine even coming back to that question later when they know you a little better and maybe yeah. they feel more comfortable sharing another layer and having that evolve over time naturally. So I love that. Thanks so much for sharing that and those words. So I'm, I'm curious. I'd love to hear how can people connect with you if they want to learn a little bit more about you. And, and I know you have two sort of there's streams, essentially, two different layers of, of offering um, of what you do in your work. So yeah, if you could just maybe share some ways people could find you and what your offerings actually look like. I'd love to hear. Sure. So I, like you said, I'm, I've just started <laughs> this really exciting like, In a way, <laughs> in a way, you've, I want to like, can I float in something like you've, you just evolved, you brought in this other layer? Cause I'm like, I don't know if you just started this work. Like it sounds like you've been doing it a long time. <laughs> yeah. But in the sort of entrepreneurial sense. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. So that's super exciting and a new path for me. And um so sort of the, the two streams that I would love to offer the world are one, um, working with um, leaders, um, folks that are more established in their careers, folks that manage teams on um, if they're looking to level up their leadership skills to the next level in terms of um, trauma-informed leadership, in terms of fostering a sense of inclusion and belonging on their teams. I offer coaching and consulting for, for established leaders. And um, the other offering that I do is working with folks that are earlier on in their careers um, folks that um, have been like me and kind of the story, if, if my journey has resonated with you um, and, you know, trying to find their own sense of belonging, um, their own sense of clarity um, and learn self-discovery um, of who they are, how they want to be in the world, how they want to work. Um, I would love to help folks that are earlier on to navigate those self-limiting beliefs, um, navigate um what they can do inside to um, foster a sense of belonging within themselves. Um, so offer mentoring and coaching um, to folks from, from that space. I love and that. you can find me on Instagram at, at the inclusion coach um, and on email at envita.akur. That's A-N-V-I-T-A dot A-K-K-U-R at gmail.com. I love that. I feel so, I just feel honored. Like, I know that's a big word and it's thrown around a lot, but it's so refreshing and so 
there's so much depth you bring to this work. So it's been really, really enlightening to to speak with you and, and hear your journey. This is often the side that we don't see. We see, you know, the the articles written, the policies that get changed, things that happen down the line, but that person that is perhaps helping to shape that, we don't really see their inner journey as much. And I really appreciate you sharing what it's what it's like for you, what the world uh, and its its changeability and how activism, how that weaves into your life, both professionally and and the space that you take as well personally. So, thank you for sharing that and just providing some background for people and how they can maybe weave some of that into their lives. Thank you so much for giving me the space. It's been such a pleasure. Uh, so fun to chat and get to know you more as well so I always leave a little more big space was there anything that popped up that you weren't oh right I really wanted to bring that in just before we move to a close or does it feel like we've covered a pretty good lay of the land for today I I think we're good I think we're good amazing well a huge huge thank you for coming on for sharing your experiences your suggestions for people I hope you find if you're listening at home, I hope you found this really, really helpful. And I think it's really important for all of us to be involved in the way that, that speaks to us. And that is within our bandwidth to be involved in whatever layer of activism shows up for us. And maybe that is looks different for, for every single person. So with that, thank you so, so much for your time. And I'm sure we'll connect again soon, but bye for now. Thanks so much for tuning in today, and I really hope you've learned something new, something helpful that can help you on your journey as a highly sensitive, and particularly if you are interested in exploring some of the justice issues of our current time. So I know today's episode was a little longer than usual, so thanks for sticking around. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, well, really, if you had anything you'd like to say, if you had some feedback to give, I would love if you could rate, review, and either follow or subscribe to the podcast to help it grow and reach other highly sensitive listeners' ears. And just to wrap up episode 19, because it was a little while ago, we started with our current events coming up. Just a quick recap that Ignite Women's Conference is coming up this weekend. Ticket sales end tomorrow. Autumn Equinox Ritual Gathering is coming up next Friday, September 24th. And the waitlist for the Menstrual Wise Collective is open. All the information is on my website, combinationhealing.ca forward slash events. All right, everyone. I hope you have an incredible rest of your day. And until next time, bye for now.